In this episode, we're going to talk about me. I've been asked a lot of questions a lot of times over the years. I, I get asked them now. I, I do shows on them and address them when I can. Sometimes it's entire shows or intros to a show or I hit them up on YouTube. But I went through and found a couple things I had where I'd kept some questions were asked over different times that I thought I would go through and share as kind of a break and something a little more fun to the podcast. So that's what we're going to talk about. Me. Answer some of your questions. It'll be pretty simple and easy. And I'll also, in the episode, talk about our upcoming shows on the subjects you want to hear about the Great Man concept. So, answering your personal questions to the best of my ability without giving anything away. That's what we're going to talk about right here on Great Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. I thought that intro might be funny. Talking about myself is not my favorite subject, but I still get asked a lot of questions all the time. I thought I would address some of them. For upcoming shows, though, I want to remind you, I, of course, just did the one on the eight common mistakes or eight of the common mistakes people make with surveillance. Because I've been asked about that lately, I've been looking up a few things. I will be doing a few more surveillance things, some mixed interval here in upcoming episodes. One of the big ones somebody reminded me out, I kind of got sidetracked from because of some things earlier this year. I did one on uh, creating your own intelligence network, which I was going to continue on. I am going to do that. That'll be a more lengthy one. We'll go into phase two of creating your own intelligence network. If that's something you're interested, go back and listen to that first one because we're going to play right off of it. Just continue where we left off. Other episodes coming up, of course, I got the ones on the advanced aerospace threats briefing that's coming up from, I believe, the DOD inspector general and whoever else to Congress. I'm going to try to get that one done here within a week because that briefing's coming up sometime in June, I believe. So I want to get that on board. I did talk to David from DMR Publications about it. He had some really great ideas. I think he'll probably hear this before I get to talk to him. He's actually not feeling well right now for those of you who follow the show. But I want to try to get him on to do a live show where we discuss the concept of it. I want to keep the podcast just like I described, looking at researching information, you know, verifying sources, vetting information and people using that subject because it's something that's upcoming, not something that has happened and challenging our own biases and kind of keep it more on the research aspect, not the whole idea of how it would work or how that system works or whether or not aircraft are this or that or where they come from. I think that's more fun live where we can get people on there. So you can definitely let me know if that's something that you'd be interested in seeing. But I think I'm going to try to do that with him at some point in the future when he's feeling better. I haven't been asked about intelligence agencies and disciplines and what they really mean. Well, I've kind of talked about this to some degree, especially with disciplines. I'm looking at doing a show where I can break down the different agencies or what was or wasn't an agency at one point. Not going too far into history because sometimes they get renamed or moved or reconsolidated. So people can see exactly what those are and where they're at and how many there are. I can't cover all of them because there's a couple that are fairly unknown to people. That's part of the reason why I, there's a number I use, but one of the former directors of national intelligence came out and said, well, there's this number, but arguably this number, he probably should have never said that, but we'll look at that at some future episode about different agencies, whether I highlight one or I just walk through the basic ones and what they do. And then as far as the disciplines, the main disciplines, I can break those down farther a little bit, I think, if that's something you're interested in. I haven't decided if I want to do that because it's it's on my list, but I haven't been asked that in, I think, since before I even started this show. I think I was asked that on YouTube. The other thing, too, is if there's subjects you want me to talk more about or you want to hear that are new 
or you want more explanation on, just shoot me a question or comment, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter, on the Intel training page or through my email. People do that all the time. So that's not a big deal to knock yourself out. I have no issue with that. And then I'll address it as I need to. So that being said, what I thought I'd do is address a whole lot of questions I get asked all the time. I think I've asked answered a few of these in the past. I don't remember specifically except for one of them. And I've I did this because I found a couple lists where I had like pasted these into a notes program on my computer. And a lot of them were just weird. Um, weird because I didn't expect them. Like, what's your favorite this? And there's a lot of those. So like, what was your favorite zoo animal was one. It's the elephant. I always liked the elephants. I always felt bad for them. Like seeing them at the circus. But yeah, that was my my favorite zoo animal. Some people have asked me questions about like what you hate the most. And usually it's in context with something. But I got to tell you, the one thing I hate, I think more than anything, is red velvet cake. So there you have it. My secrets are out. Now you know everything and you can... Get my passwords with my secret questions. I did get asked one. It was about what scared you the most when you were in the military? Like what event or activity scared you the most? I think it was specifically asking about war. The thing was, is while there were things that happened deployed that bothered me after the fact, not really in the moment. The one thing I could just remember off the top of my head, like what scared me the most? I only came up with one thing. I remember being scared shitless. And I got to tell you, a lot more people are scared during this event than they realize. But it was all kind of a haste. But man, was I scared. And that was in basic training, going to the grenade range to throw a grenade. Like they really talk about the safety aspect and go into what that thing can do. And there's always a little bit, for me, there was anyway about, you know, how true is this? And then when you put one of those in your hand and realize how much it weighs and then it's a bomb that's going to blow up and shrapnel goes everywhere, I was scared shitless. That entire day bothered me not just getting handed it and getting to throw it like before, after I was anxious and apprehensive from the time I woke up until we got off that range. That scared the shit out of me. After that, it was no big deal, but boy, that one time, that was the one thing in the military really got me. It wasn't the gas chamber. That was kind of fun. I mean, it sucks, but it was funny. Yeah. The grenade thing that really got me. There really was nothing else that scared me. There's just events that happened or things that happened, especially when deployed, that would seem scary or after the fact it kind of hits you. But, yeah, the grenade thing was it for me. I've been asked questions about what is your most, like, proud moment when you were in the military or working in the intelligence community or what was your greatest success? You know, what's the one thing you did you want to tell everybody out or you, you can't tell people about whatever it is? There is one thing, and it's it's like the grenade thing. It's the only thing I could think of. It came right to me, and I was like, no, there's no other competition. It's not a story I can get into detail with in something like this. It's also one of those things, like, if I if I told you the details, it wouldn't really be that big a deal. It's just the circumstances around it. I, I, I'm not supposed to. Out of respect for classified information, but it's not. It's The details are not that big of a deal. The names aren't even that big of a deal. But I, I was able one time, and this was this was before I got an intel, actually. I was able to get some information, and this is going to be really vague. I got some information that led to a result, and I was very proud of the result. It was a complete shocker. In fact, when the result happened, people were trying to figure out who got this information. I had no idea. I learned months later they were trying to figure this out when they a few people found out it was me, and then I got, I guess you'd say, rewarded for it, which was nice, but... I got some information led to a result 
that result led to a, another result, a second result, which was a big deal. Now, my contribution to the first result was like it. That got the first result, which was cool. From there, they got more information that got to result number two, which changed the world or changed the country, essentially. I So I contributed to the second result. I wasn't the only person that contributed. It was, I suppose it was a significant piece of information, not that significant. Also, the second result would happen regardless. First result and me could have never happened. Result number two would have eventually happened. No question about that. But it was pretty cool. I'm pretty proud of it. One of the few things that I got, you know, a medal for where I'm like, yeah, this is one of the like four medals I'm proud of. And it was uh, fortunately something I can only vaguely talk about, but it was a big driving force about when I changed my job, realizing, hey, this cool sounding interrogator job, I can do that because I kind of did it once, even though I wasn't supposed to. Now, the strange things about a lot of these questions is some of these don't sound like, for those who only listen to podcasts, you're going to think these are not questions somebody email you off the podcast. They're not. A lot of these come from YouTube. I went through some recent ones where I can see the chats or I copy the chats and then I had questions written down in another old notebook from when I did YouTube years ago where you get asked these random questions or people would send me questions. That's where a lot of these weird ones come from. Or not weird, but they're just not ones you think I'd get asked. So like I've been asked if I'm married. I'm not married. I was married once for nine years and got divorced. That was more than a decade ago. I've been divorced longer than I was married, but I was married for nine years. Haven't been married again since. I have not been in a position where I almost got married. There was one woman that I thought I was going to marry in my head. Um, never, It never got that far. And that didn't work out. She's probably, I guess if you say, if, there, if I was to tell you a story about the one that got away, it'd probably be her. Well, definitely would be her. There'd be no nobody else. I don't know, maybe maybe you're not liking this, but one thing I want to point out is people know me well enough can tell you this, but the quality of the answer I'm going to give you is based heavily on the quality of the question that you ask. So, for example, one question I got asked was, do you have a favorite color? I was like, you'd ask a kid that, but like that's a terrible question. So my response is, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> so that's an example of the quality of your question is going to determine the quality of your answer. Though. So when you do any of the things I should talk about on this podcast, you know, communicating with people and getting information. Remember that how you talk to people has the biggest impact on how they respond. It has not as much to do with them as you think. It's mostly going to do with your interaction with them, especially when it comes to a question and answer session. A lot of times I get asked about fun or funny or interesting military stories, which is nice. I don't get asked like graphic or detailed questions or did you do this or that? So I think people are probably a lot more respectful than I give them credit cord. But because I mentioned medals earlier, this was an interesting story. So when I first was in the infantry, I was still, I think it was still a PFC, a private first class. It's an E3 in the army at the time. We had this uh, ball coming up, like a dining in or dining out. I don't remember which one. Their formal military function where where you're dressed uniform. Wanted to go, had tickets. And it was a situation where at that time, when I joined, I was 23 years old. We had one other guy in my company in basic training that was 21. Everybody else was 18 or younger. Like in those days, it was not common to see people in their early 20s, let alone older. Whereas nowadays, there's a lot of people joining the military after college during their 20s. I've trained guys in the last few years that were like mid-30s by the time they joined the Army. It's becoming more common. Back then, there wasn't a lot of us. 
I was, I suppose, in ways a little more mature than other people, just having been in my 20s, lived on my own, been to college, had to support myself. Probably some things were different. I mentioned this because I had tickets. I'm going to this ball. I'm married at the time. We're going to go to this ball, and then it goes away. And this happened a lot over there where I would get something taken from me, not as a form of punishment, but because some officer needed it, and I would always get explained that I could probably handle it better than other people. Man, it would piss me off. So I didn't get to go to this ball. But here's here's where the story comes in. We had another guy who was a, a PFC, I think, at the time. He was an E two or E three, and he was also in his he was in his twenties. Newer guy, really nice. You know, he he wasn't like overly animated or loud. He talked to people, just a normal guy, real squared away, good dude. And then he's one main character. The other main character was our sergeant major. Our sergeant major at the time, he was career special forces army ranger. Came back the regular infantry. Our commander at the time was a special forces officer. A lot of people didn't know it. Our sergeant major in the special forces community was well-known. He has his own History Channel special or did for a while. There's a very well-known story he was part of during, I think it was Desert Storm, if I remember correctly. And he's like highly decorated. For that time frame especially, he was highly decorated. Lots of ribbons, lots of medals, lots of cool guy medals, hero medals. Real legit soldier. So at that time, we this is years after Desert Storm. I mean, there's still a few Desert Storm vets around, but most of the people might have been in during those activities like Panama, Haiti, Desert Storm, but not too many have been there. And you didn't see a lot of guys, even like sergeant majors or colonels, wearing like six, seven rows of ribbons. So, you know, this guy had been places as a sergeant major. So I get told this story about the ball and then find out later it's true because the sergeant major tells the story to a group of us. And this this was really interesting. It really kind of stood out more common now but so this other private i'm telling you about he went to the ball in his dress uniform and when he walked in first thing a lot of people noticed was that he was holding like an envelope or some paper or folder or something like that and when people saw his uniform something stood out he had a buttload of ribbons and that was noticeable and people started approaching him and trying to talk to him or trying to stop him and he just beelined it past them and went straight up to the sergeant major and the colonel and people kind of following him because they're going to challenge this guy because he's a private, you know, this has got to be a stolen valor situation, even though that phrase wasn't used back then. So he hands the paperwork over to Sergeant Major the Colonel, one of the two, and says, we can talk now or I'll be in your office Monday, whenever you want me to be there. But this is all legit. And whichever one got it, flipped it open, showed the paper to the other person, said no problem. If anybody gives you a hard time, let us know. So apparently this guy, we didn't know this. He was prior service. He was a Marine. He was one of the expeditionary forces that, why he was there for several years, like went around and did some legit stuff in the world. And he was not commissioned officer. And apparently, however, he transferred over to the army. Like he had to lose a certain amount of rank. I, I don't remember the whole story, but he was a private. And I remember he was an E2 or E3, became an E4 specialist after the fact. But it was really interesting because in that time frame, that was that was really rare. You didn't see a lot of people in their 20s joining. Didn't see a lot of people to prior service. And then even if you saw those things, you sure shit didn't see somebody was wearing as much medals as a very well-known, famous, successful Special Forces soldier. A funny question I got to, I got to find it here. Uh, I had to think up the answer. Like I had multiple responses for this, but I wanted to word it correctly. And let's see, it says... I watched one of your previous shows when, so this was a show I did. I think Luke was on there. 
was on YouTube in the last two or three months that I've been doing those shows. And we discussed uh, firearms at one point, and we discussed Glock. Glock is a very well-known firearm. Anyway, he says, you mentioned Glocks and how it was a great weapon, but you didn't own one, that you preferred SIGs and H&Ks. If you prefer those over a Glock, I question if you ever even shot one. Have you ever actually shot a Glock? So I thought of all these responses, like that's kind of a retarded question, but what I realized, if I would not have prefaced this and just said it, it'd probably be funnier. But my response to that question is, I have shot Glocks, just not since I was a little girl. Like, that's my official response. So I think I probably could have, I probably should have said that without the preface. But that, again, the quality of your question is going to determine the quality of the answers that I give. One question I got asked, too, this was actually about movies or shows that are related to the Gray Man concept or espionage, things that would be fun to watch. And if you're into that kind of thing, you'll, you'll have to search for some of these I have some of them written down. I had to find them to make sure. I don't even know where they stream or how to get them. Some of them are very old, or most of you will think is very old. Somebody my age probably won't. One of them is called Cold War Espionage. So if I got it right, that's the one that was in the 90s, was actually like a, a TV series on something. And somebody took it and basically put all the shows together into like a two-hour documentary. So... One of the things to be aware of is the editing isn't all that fantastic, but it's really great stuff. And it has to do, it focuses a lot on Cold War stuff in the 80s. And it it looks a lot at like mindset about betraying your country. So it, it gives you kind of an insight and mindset to people that had committed uh, treason. Um, a lot of them are famous names. Another one... Let me see. Another one was, this might interest you. There's one called Nazis in the CIA. So that one is about how Operation Paperclip, which was after World War II, where Americans and Soviets basically recruit scientists instead of killing them or prosecuting them, bring their country to advance their own technology. So like one of the guys we got that's famous is Werner von Braun that helped set up NASA and get us into space. He was the guy that created like the V2 rockets and stuff that were shot at us. But then we hire him and he helps get us to the moon. So it it talks about how we get some of those guys and what they do and then how some of them, whether we recruit them or not, how they owned up in places like the CIA and what they did that was good or definitely bad in a lot of them. It also looks at um, the Nazis that made their way to Latin America, like South America, usually on the run, whether they were military or civilian, and then how a lot of them got involved in the politics of that portion of the world even talks about a training facility in Chile that the uh, Nazis ran. And it's just kind of this little twist on the history of World War II most people don't know about. So that might interest you. Another one is called this one, The Spy Who Went Into the Cold. So it looks at the life of a guy named Kim Philby, who was a very famous trader for people that follow us from uh, Great Britain. So like he defects from the United Kingdom and he goes to Russia and helps them out and it became very public. He became a big name in like the face of treason and it caused a lot of contention and issues on top of what was already there between those two countries. So that might be something you're interested in. There are several others uh, that you can find. Most of them that are going to be pretty good are usually documentaries. Are there movies that are more realistic? I don't know. I think... 
movies are movies, you know, they're entertainment. There's things in them that no matter how well they try to do them, it's still a movie. You're fitting this big story into two or three, sometimes three hours now. And, you know, there's the way they edit and they do all these things and you kind of have to give them a little bit of forgiveness there. So it just kind of depends. Like I always talk about the Jason Bourne movies, as terrible as those are and the aspect of a lot of things involved in that world, there are some things on there that are fairly decent. It just depends on the shows you're watching. Like I've been asked about military movies or which ones I like or if they piss me off when they get things wrong. It's going back to the movie thing, not really. Like there's things I understand and I accept. Like it's only really big issues like gun safety, number one, that kind of irks me a little bit. I think they're very irresponsible that the other thing is when they're doing something that has happened and granted, whether they say it's true or not, it's probably based on a true story or it's a true story based on whoever originally told it. There are things that are, of course are going to look different because they're making a movie. They can't cover everything. It just asses me up when they get it really wrong, whether they know better or not. It's like, there's a story about Black Hawk down the movie battle of Mogadishu in Somalia. I don't know if this is true, but it was interesting when I read it. What I had read, and this was a long time ago, was that when they were going to make the movie, they either didn't ask the Department of Defense or couldn't get the Department of Defense on board. But they're going to make this movie called Black Hawk Down about Blackhawks getting shot down. Everything that happened in that battle. So the story goes, whether they didn't ask or couldn't get help, no problem. They're going to make the movie anyway, so the best they can do is get Huey helicopters, which are the old Vietnam Air helicopters, then this, the way they wrote the story was DOD gets involved in like, yeah, no. You can't have a movie called Black Hawk Down based on a real incident where Black Hawks get shot down and you're flying Hueys and shooting down Hueys. So we're going to get on board and give you Black Hawks. Now, I don't know if that story is true or not, but think of it this way. For those who watch the movie, whether you like it or not, imagine if everything in the movie is exactly the same as it is now. The only difference is they're flying Huey helicopters. I would have been pissed. So things like that irk me. Things like... Certain tactics or how well they perform them, they're actors. And it's only the big budget ones where they send them to the training schools or send them to work with the military. And even then, they're only there for a few days or a week or two. They're not professionally trained soldiers. You can't take an actor and convincingly sell him to be a Navy SEAL in 14 days. It's just not going to happen. So I give a lot of leeway to things like that. So I don't get too assed up about them. It's like uh, uniforms. People see things wrong in the uniforms. Actually, I, I found this thing a long time ago. I should have saved it. This was long before I did any of this stuff. I was still in the military. There's actually one of the laws or rules, one of those little lesser known things people may or may not enforce. And I think the movie industry, I think they screwed up sometimes. But I also think they do it out of respect in accordance with these the rule or the law, which basically is, let's say you're acting and you're fulfilling this role of the soldier and you have, let's say, all the medals they have on your uniform. But if you're wearing them in the correct order, that's technically wrong. You have to at least throw one out of order. It was something along those lines. So when I see this stuff, I don't get too mad. There's ones I get really asked up about, though. They're really stupid, like whether you like the movie or not. There's a movie, I think it's called Basic. It had Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta. John Travolta is like a CID warrant officer investigating a murder. Sam Jackson is playing the platoon sergeant of these guys he calls his rangers. They're down in Panama. But it's very clear he's the platoon sergeant and i think during part of the movie he's wearing staff sergeant rank which would work i mean he'd probably be an e7 but no big deal but then there's a shot in a scene where he's playing platoon sergeant he's yelling these guys he's wearing e4 rank but not corporal specialist rank like that was a huge mistake so it's like 
that was a stupid, silly mistake you guys should have caught. So little things like that, but I don't get too asked up at them. So let's see. I'm looking at this list here of things I I hate or don't like. Um, like I get asked questions about the alcohol I drink. So I'm like, what kind of beer is that? I can tell you the ones, things I don't like that are alcohol. I don't like gin. I don't like scotch. And I don't like Chardonnay. Those are for sure. I'm not saying I love everything else or like everything else, but those for sure. No, do not like them at all. Um, some people ask me about the beers. I tend to like dark beers, especially when you can't see through to the other side of the glass. But it's like anything. doesn't mean I like them all. There's plenty of light beers that I like too. Most of the time if I buy beer, it depends on what I'm feeling like. I don't have like a go-to consistent brand that I never break from. Let's see. Favorite coffee. This was in a question of not just favorite coffee, but if I tried Black Rockwell coffee. I have. So I, I have coffees that I like. I I grew up in a house where you bought Folgers and that's what you drank. I don't know if I got conditioned to it or not, but when I joined the military, everybody drank inst- uh, coffee instant or not. And most of the time they're buying brands like U-Ban. I don't know if that still exists. Hills Brothers, Maxwell House. To me, they just taste like garbage. Folgers was much better. Then I met people that actually tried different types of coffee and espresso before, you know, mochaccinos and all that was a big deal. And most of the time I just thought, well, I don't know how you're telling what beans are good because this is just sugar coffee. You know, it's you're drinking dessert and they're nice every once in a while, but you know, it's a lot of calories and real sweet. And then I've tried things like cappuccinos and stuff at different coffee shops. And I could tell the differences of how it tastes based a lot on the coffees they used. There was a diner, something it's in it's outside of jbl in washington where every time i go there i because i forget the coffee i really like the coffee and every time the company doesn't sell like to private citizens or something and then there's a coffee shop i knew the woman that owned it and that coffee was great too but now what i did is i started getting to try to find better coffee to just wanted to i still drink whatever when i want to drink it but I started buying beans and doing things like that. Anyway, it got to the point where I started sampling black rifle coffee. Now they have a lot of options and they roast different and whether or not they're dark. So not everybody, especially with coffee, is going to like all of them. So I went through three or four of them and I was like, there's a couple I really didn't like and there's a couple, these are okay, but there's got to be one in here that's like really great. So I finally got a bag last year. I don't know which specific name goes to it, but it's not hard to find. It's the one that they do, I think every year around the holidays. And it's got kind of the drawing of a green Christmas tree on it. They all have some sort of picture. It's the green Christmas tree one. I love that one. And then I bought like a bunch of them that I think I got lucky. I think I'm going to make it through the whole year because it's warm enough now. I typically don't drink coffee, but I've been drinking coffee because I love that coffee. So that's my favorite one, the Black Rifle Coffee one with the Christmas tree on it. One of the questions I get asked about like everyday carry or pocket dumps are, do you carry a knife? And if so, what kind? So I really don't when I do. So like if I go camping or something, I'll carry a knife, like something you would carry on a belt. I even have a specific bigger knife just for that. If if I want to play around with it, but everyday normal stuff, I really don't. If I do, it's usually a folder pocket knife. And, uh, if it's not on my person, it's around, like I have one or two that I keep in my car in case I need them. And I have ones laid out I can carry. And occasionally I do. But typically the most common one I'll carry, if I carry one, is just a standard Victronaut Swiss Army knife. It's the, I don't know which model, but it's a very simple one. It's got the large and small knife. It's got the the two types of like screwdriver can opener things. And it's 
got the little insert with the tweezers and I think a toothpick, which I don't really use those tweezers. They're kind of garbage. Toothpick's all right. But I, the reason it's that specific one is the on the back of the knife, it has tools you're most likely to use, and one of them's a corkscrew. You know, in case you got that, go to your buddy's house and they decide to break out that fancy one, didn't buy it in a box, then they don't know how to open it. Like, eh, guess what I got? I'll be right back. Uh, but I carry that one, I, a single folding knife with just a blade. I used to carry a Gerber, and I cannot remember. It's a uh, air, airframe or I don't remember. It's kind of a skeletonized knife. I carried it for a while till I got a different one, just because the one I have was engraved, it was given to me in the military. But there's there's knives like that. I do have others. I just don't carry them all that much. Like I got a couple of Hisatsu's that are not really made for opening boxes, but I don't really carry them that much. But that's standard Swiss Army knives typically what I have. I did have this one I found. It was about, it's kind of funny. It was about dating. A lot of people want like relationship advice. You can figure that out from some of the detecting deception stuff or whatever, but I'm not doing that. But one of the questions I got asked about is actually a girl that asked me this. I don't know. Maybe she was flirting with me, but they want to know what kind of women I date or what kind of women I, things I don't like if I'm dating a woman. First thing comes to mind. So there's certain types of things that I consider rude that turned me off to the degree where I'm like, this is not happening. There was a time, this is like 15 years ago, I dated this girl for not very long, a few months, three, four months or something. But we had to go to the grocery store because we were going to somebody's house, having a barbecue, you know, everybody's bringing something. So we picked up a few things. I pushed the cart out to my car. I put the stuff in there. And then where I was parked, the cart return was probably like, you know, like the next set of rows over two or three cars down, you know, it's 40 feet away. No big deal. Closest one. So I start pushing my cart over there. And she's like, what are you doing? Just put the cart back. So like, just leave it. They pay people to do this. I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's not my thing. I was like, it's no big deal. So I return the car, put the cart in the thing. I come back to the car, the entire drive to where we're going, which was only like 10 minutes. She was visibly angry, huffing and puffing and just pissed that I did that. And I was like, yeah, this, this relationship is not going anywhere. Like we're done. So I stayed around for a little while just for fun, but I knew right there, like this was going nowhere. Like I cannot be with a person like this. You know, another example is like, uh, guys always talk about how women, uh, will test guys, the ways they'll test them. And sometimes women say, well, it's not really a test, but it's what they do. And I realize guys do it too. Sometimes now I don't do this all the time. In fact, I don't even think about it when I probably should, but I'll give you an example of the way I would test a woman. If a woman's coming to my house, maybe it's the first time, maybe she's been there a few times, I'm cooking her dinner or something. Hopefully she reaches out to me before I reach out to her or she just says, hey, I'm on my way. And somewhere in the conversation, try to work in like, hey, can you pick this up? Even better if she asks, all right. Hey, can you pick this up? Here's the thing though. I'm not, I'll ask for something that's easy, but it's not gonna be something that probably sounds initially like it makes sense for the meal that I'm creating just to see if they'll do it. Not because I'm trying to control them, not because I'm trying to get them to do things for me in the future. I just want to see what kind of person they are. And the, every time I've done it, which hasn't been many, it's come out badly. It's been like, no, I don't have time for that. I'm in a hurry. It's like, what are you in a hurry for? Are you coming to me? Or that's really inconvenient. Or why do you need that? It's like, it's like I'm not going to put with somebody who's going to have that kind of reaction to every little thing. Is it fair to say that they will? No, but my limited experience of few times I've done it was absolutely fair. 
Another thing I would do would be like, this is funny. The other one I've done, I've done it, I think twice and it actually worked out in their favor was trying to get them to help me with something. One was like yard work. They were all about it. And one of them was like, I was organizing something cleaning. I think I was working in my garage. I'm like, yeah, I'll help you out. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Cause I'll, I thought it would go the other way. I thought the first one, Hey, can you, you know, yeah, I'm cooking steaks and blah, blah, blah. Can you drive through and give me a strawberry milkshake? Like I thought that would work out and those things never did. And I'm like, Hey, can you, can you help me with these weeds? I, I kind of want to get them done. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I always thought I was gonna be like, no, that's dirty. Uh, so I, I don't know why it worked out that way, but yeah, that's all the relationship advice you're getting from me. I actually did a show, I think it was early on, I talked about, I don't know if it was part of Everyday Care or not, but I talked about using credit cards, the ways you use credit cards, prepaid cards. I talked a little bit about different names or like, you know, nobody knows your dog's name or when you get a new kid or your brother moves in, so you can just start using similar names. Like your dog's name and your last name is you get stuff mailed to your house. I mentioned this because I was asked, how do I shop for things or shop for things to protect my identity? So I, I have plenty of things that come in my own name. That's just normal. Depends on where they go. But I have different places I can get mail. You know, basic ones are like where I live, where the post office is. There's things like post offices you can get mail. I have used different names that make sense that aren't questioned, especially from where I'm buying from. So if I use a made-up name that isn't a huge deal or it's close enough to mine, and then I use it in like a private mailbox system, and then I shop through, say, Amazon with a prepaid card, it's going to come to me. It's no big deal. So that's a lot of times how I do it. But most of the stuff like that mail order, I don't buy a lot of things in stores. Like I'll buy clothes. I'll go to places where you can get clothes that are like a place like Ross, out of season stuff. But if I, like I don't wear jeans, but if I did, I used to do this when I wore jeans. I knew which kinds I liked. I would just go double check a place and make sure I knew exactly what fit. And that's all I'd stay there for. I wouldn't buy them. I would go home and order them. That's just what I did. Probably weird, but that's what I did. There's things I'll buy in stores if I need them right away or it's just easier. Or if I just need to get out of the house. But a lot of stuff I mail order and I have it shipped to different locations. So it just depends on what I'm doing. One of the questions I get asked too is I'd mentioned using online dating for whether for dating or for research purposes to see how people talk or communicate, whatever. And I've been asked if I had any success, which I had, but here's an interesting thing. If you get offensively funny, but do it the right way, you actually can get a lot of positive responses, even if it's people are just like, that was awesome. So I went through and found these notes I had on things from when I would do that. And so here was the headline I would use that got me the most responses. It was like, you have to write a, like a bio and a lot of people don't fill them out or don't put much, but you put like a headline for that bio. So you might appreciate this. So man looking for woman, I would put in there seeking selfish, high maintenance and entitled woman lacking class and personality who cannot math. I got so many positive responses and That was a very soft opening to what I would usually write in the profile, which I should have saved. I didn't. I just saved that part, but that got me a lot of responses. People enjoyed it. This one I had to look up to find what I would call the right answer. It actually, on a YouTube channel a long time ago, I'd wrote this down. I never did respond to it. They wanted a funny dad joke. I think this is a dad joke, but anyway, here's the joke. How do you milk a sheep? You release another iPhone. I think that is true. That's my funny dad joke. I did do a show on training. I think it was like how to find good training or something like that. That I always ask about, and I've, I've had other questions on that, but it's kind of funny. I think some stuff I don't, 
I don't get asked a lot, like, what's the best? What's good at this? It's always like, what's bad about this or what's the worst? I got to ask a question, like, how can you tell if somebody's a bad instructor? So I think there's a lot of opinions on that, but I always go back to this leadership quote from the Army Manual Leadership that was in, I know, around 2000. And part of it at the beginning talks about purpose, direction, and motivation. That's something a leader provides. But I cross that over to training where you're instructing somebody. I think that, especially when you're performing a task or I'm not thinking like you're sitting in class learning math. I'm like, you're, you're learning a skill or task, something you're probably paying for that the three things I think you need, and everybody has different opinions, just my thoughts is purpose, direction, and motivation. Most of the time we're bringing our own motivation to the table, at least in general, because we're probably going to this. We want to go to it. We're paying for it. Something along those lines. So that's usually on us. It's probably already there as long as it's something, you know, you're choosing to do. So then you have, and then granted, if you're doing this work and you're not motivated, that's your leader's fault. The other two is purpose and direction. Direction's usually there, usually provided by the instructor. Hey, this is how we do this. Let's practice this. Here's the steps. You know, here's why we do it this way or whatever. But a lot of times they forget the purpose. The purpose is the reason why we're doing it. And what I mean about that is sometimes I've seen people do training or like little scenarios or little classes or like, oh, you're learning how to say, put on a tourniquet. We're going to change this or, oh, you're doing this, you know, but where they miss and what I think makes them a bad instructor is they could teach you that skill all day long, give you the proper direction, but they can't provide you the purpose on why it's being done this way. What about this? What am I getting out of this scenario that's realistic? Like people can walk onto a rifle range with a firearm kind of run around, shoot through barriers, do whatever. They could do it for a competition. They could do it for fun. But if they don't have a lot of knowledge and skill in that area, somebody's got to explain to them the purpose. Like, what about this would translate to a realistic situation? And that should be done with all training. The other thing is sometimes it's better to provide the purpose after the fact because it depends on what effect you want to have on that student. But I think what you'll find is most of the time in most situations – Students that are coming to something probably provide their own motivation to some degree. The instructor that's training them probably is providing most of the direction. The purpose is what tends to get lost, and I think that's what makes a bad instructor. I have been asked, and this actually, this was actually, I think, back when I did the training podcast about how I've trained people and, you know, maybe I'll have a school one day or something. Anyway, I think the way these were asked was like I was being challenged, but they wanted to see some stuff or hear some stuff I've written that might be good information. I don't know if that's a fair way to take something I've written for my training and to say, compare it to somebody else who might have a different background to determine whether or not you think their training is good and you're assuming that my write-up is better or, or maybe mine's worse, whatever your scenario is. But I have this one thing here. I always provide this to people. If I ever have a school, this will be a main part of it, probably on like the title page. But these are things I always try to communicate to people that I've had written down for a long time. It's more like the purpose or mission of training that I do and really applies to anything. But it's like the uh, priorities, training priorities. And it's like five, five things. So it's the first one is assist in building a foundation based on efficient performance, values alignment, and collective habits. Collective is like more than one person, team. The second one is 
Influence others while remaining open to being influenced. Varying skill sets and thinking styles are critical to team success. So if you haven't caught on already, I focus a lot on teamwork more than individual. The third one is give information a purpose. Every topical discussion should result in one of two outcomes, a decision made or a problem solved. The fourth one, have a clear direction, establish goals and desired outcomes in order to identify the best ways to proceed. And the last one is don't attempt to standardize. Blending to perceived norms and status quo fails to address uniqueness. Focus on development, which is fluid and actionable, reinforcing individual skills. If you don't quite get that, listen to it over again or write it down and really look at it and think about it. It's going to help you understand it instead of me trying to teach a class on it. That's just something I try to communicate to everybody. You're not going to hear that from a lot of people, at least like, like it's something you can read ahead. But you know what? I think those are good things. So maybe if you find people that one way or another, an old training video they had or something sounds a lot like one or two of these things, eh, that might be, a, might be a good sign, assuming you think these are good ideas. I keep forgetting I'm supposed to tell you more about me. That was kind of the idea behind this. So I'm trying to, trying to remember and look at my, my things here. I should have marked them down. Well, one thing about me, of course, people don't know that. They hear you on a podcast or see you sitting down on YouTube. I remember Luke. I, you guys have seen Luke from Rush Creek Survival from Canada who's on the YouTube with me sometimes. So I remember how shocked he was. He didn't believe me until I like took a camera out and proved it to him uh, that I'm taller than most people realize. I'm six foot four. I guess a lot of people thought I was under six foot tall, but I am six four. I'm a large mammal. I guess when I play this back and listen to it, I'll see how much my voice has changed. I've started to stop more in this podcast episode than I probably do. And well, more than any one, but probably in any three or four combined reading through this stuff. I guess I didn't think ahead. I thought it was going to be easier anyway. Uh, so that will be pretty much it. I think the only thing I'll answer next, I get asked a lot is about what the future holds. People want to know, you know, are you going to start doing training again or have in-person classes or school special for stuff or the whole gray man concept. That's kind of the idea and goal. There's people that are on board with that plan. The upside to it compared to most people is we've all done it for years. We all have the training material. We're just not doing it right now, or some of us are. We have it all ready to go. What we don't have is we don't live in the same area. We don't have, depending on things we want to do, we don't either have facilities or land, or even if any of us wanted to do it where we are now, we don't have the location conducive for it. Plus, I'm tired of being in Arizona. Part of it's the heat, but also this is the longest I've lived in one place in like 30 years. And I was here off and on a few times before I retired. So I've even spent gaps of like a year gone, but still I've never been in one place this long. So I'm kind of like, uh. So yeah, that's kind of the idea. And part of how we want to do it is we want to take advantage of all available mediums, you know, promoting it on social media. Even if we're not ready to have in-person classes and we're just putting stuff together, film it, film like, you know, hey, here's what we're doing now. Film us giving a class, throwing it up on YouTube. People can see the progress that, you know, help build the, I guess they call it the brand or the company now. Having that kind of stuff going, having a good website with good material, having solid classes like, hey, you know, you need to, here's the different levels of this classes. Here's the prices. I'm making sure prices are more realistic depending on what the class are than some other people charge. Not to try to undersell people because we also don't want to necessarily be in an area where, I guess you'd call it competition. Not that we don't want competition. It's just 
somebody's already providing the service. So we want to try to see if we can find a place where nobody's providing that service. And the pricing for a lot of it's only about making it more affordable to more people that want to go. And that depends greatly on what it is. I mean, there's insurances and things and some training that can't be that way. But there's a lot of little things that can. And we've looked at that and planned a lot of that out. And then finding out, you know, like how often can we do it? You know, all this other stuff. We've, you know, what are the major metropolitan areas? What's, you know, what are the laws that could affect the business in the state we're in? We spent a lot of time because we've been talking about it for years. Some of us for a few months, some for years. It's just the big things that are missing. And a part of it too is we want to at least have two or three of us together. And I'm the only one that could really move right now. And where the other people are are not places that would in any way fit with what we want to do. So that's kind of the holdup on that. But there, yeah, there'd be a lot of different things people would be interested in. And a lot of it would be stuff I talk about here. So that's kind of the plan for that. So I hope you enjoyed this. I, I don't know if I covered enough stuff or if this was even fun for you. Maybe it was. But if you have questions like that stuff I've asked, you can you can shoot me those questions. I'll answer most of them. If they're too personal, too specific, or just something I don't want to talk about, I'll tell you, or I just won't, you know, I'll respond like on an email or, you know, I don't really blow people off too much, I guess. So definitely just let me know if there's something like that. It doesn't have to be totally on the show. I like I like it when I get the questions I can do a show on, but I also like it when I can do the intro questions. So there's a couple of shows Older shows I did where I did endo questions, it took like 20 minutes that I probably could have made other shows, but I like being able to answer those because stuff people want to know tells me you're interested in what I have to say. Uh, and when I don't get that, hey, I'll just make it up as I go. I got a long list of classes, but don't forget, we got some more surveillance stuff coming up. We're going to talk about that aerospace, advanced aerospace threats, and the briefing that's coming up, what to expect for that. I'm going to work on uh, getting the longer one done, which will be about your intelligence networks. I will go back into some of the other previous subjects we talked about. I have a few more written down just on my other desk. So if there's specific things you want to know, questions about a subject, something you want to hear more about, something that pertains to you uniquely, definitely send me that information, that question, that comment, and I will make that happen. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back on in our next shows talking about the Gray Man concept and everything related to it right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.